1: to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body. Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. For a seven day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that the ancient Egyptians used dried
2: crocodile dung as a contraceptive. They made something called a pessary. And a pessary is the earliest contraceptive device for women ever known, at least that we know about. And pessaries are objects or mixtures of stuff that you put in the vagina to keep sperm from swimming up where it shouldn't go. And uh, the Egyptians did this starting as early as 1850 BC. It was crocodile dung, honey, and sodium carbonate, which is actually kind of gross. How many
3: infections did that lead to?
2: They don't really know from the fossil or archaeological records, but I I suspect not that many because there's that whole gut biome thing. Another fact that's totally unknown is that Uh, In the Middle East, when people would get dysentery, uh, British soldiers asked the locals, what do you do? And they said, you follow a camel around and you eat fresh camel poop and it'll fix the dysentery. And to this day, that still works, but I haven't tried it. I just hear it's good.
1: What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use.
2: Incredible. (laughs) Now, we've grossed everyone out, and we've already started talking, but I haven't introduced you. Let me uh, introduce you. This is none other than seven-time New York Times bestseller, Neil Strauss. Uh, Neil is very well known for Emergency, for The Game, and for his new book, which is really good, called The Truth, an uncomfortable book about relationships. Neil, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I've listened to it so much, so I'm happy to be here. Wow. And as a listener, that's even, that's even cooler. Now, your other book, uh, Rules of the Game, I didn't mention, but I mean, seven books. I, I, I don't think I've read all seven, but the first time I became familiar with your work was actually Emergency. Great. Uh, which goes way back, which was, uh, and so, by the way, if you're going to get a book from Neil Strauss, you should buy The Truth, because it's, it's a profound book, and it's maybe the antithesis of Emergency. Was that your first New York Times bestseller?
3: No, uh, the first one was way back. I did a book with Marilyn Manson oh, okay. called The Long Hard Road Out of Hell that was like just a crazy, intense rock bio. Yeah. So,
2: you inspired me. I don't think in the times we've met I've ever mentioned this, no. but I, I went and I did the urban escape and evasion course. This one where they kidnap you and teach you to like break out of handcuffs and all this stuff. Pick locks and, and hot wire cars. Yeah. And uh, uh, in fact, in the class with me, it was a girl you were dating at the time. Who was that? I don't remember. This was six <laughs> years ago or something. No way. She was really hot. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was... It was the, And there was a Playboy Bunny in the class, too. Where uh-huh. like, I was like, I've been locked in the same trunk as the Playboy Bunny. Like, my life <laughs> right. is complete. It, it, this was the coolest thing, though. And your whole your whole experience there was, like, the set of experiments were like, okay, I want to know what it's like to, like, kill and eat an animal. I want to know what it's like to push my limits. And, and you did all these crazy things. It, it's still, like, one of my favorite books.
3: He, he's actually coming to my house this weekend because I'm teaching a bunch of friends how to do all this stuff? Oh, the Lockpick
2: kind of stuff. Uh, yeah,
3: that that, that yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin, Kevin Reed yeah. is coming to my home <laughs> home this week, and it's actually if you hadn't taken, I was going to invite you to come Friday and Saturday to, to do it. And
2: oh wow, it'll be
3: some interesting people too.
2: You know, I might be able to drop in uh, if we can. Make yeah, that yeah that, drop uh, in. Maybe if that, you want to be
3: on the second day, what they do is they once you've learned all the skills, we're really into I'm really into practical applications. So as he does in the class, he's you you what they do is they handcuff you, tase you, waterboard you, give you some stress drop you off somewhere and you have to complete these missions while being hunted by bounty hunters and so if you want to maybe be a bounty hunter on Sunday you can search for the other students if I'm oh wait I'm going to be in Las Vegas darn darn so
2: but for if you're listening to this we maybe just only got a little bit off track but <laughs> right. here's here's the deal if you wanted to really push your limits I, when I did this like whenever it was five six years ago I thought I was reasonably calm. It pushed all my buttons. I was flipping out. Having bounty hunters chasing you, even though you know at one level, like, okay, they're not going to like really kill you. But if they catch you, they handcuff you and they drop you off in some part of town where you like have no phone, no resources unless you hid something in a dumpster somewhere. Like it's really raw and and, like primal and visceral. And when I was done, I'm like, okay, I need to get better control of my nervous system because my fight or flight was like heavily activated.
3: Yeah, performing under stress is a whole new experience. If they put you under stress, all of a sudden, So all your, a lot of your skills go away. Yeah. So
2: this is one of those things where it was, it's kind of a bucket list thing and, and if you're sitting there in your cubicle going, "Oh my god, that's so cool," or you're driving right now, uh, you might actually consider checking that out as, as one of those things, like for a birthday gift or something. It takes three days, and when you're done, you'll be able to open doors you're not supposed to be able to open with lockpicks. It's, it's, it's just coming
3: incredibly handy, the, the lockpicking and the and the uh, set of jigglers to break into car. I mean, break into your own car, of course. Uh, yeah, of
2: course. Of course. Right. <laughs> I, I will admit that one time when I really had to pee in San Francisco, I picked a lock. Uh, just in an office building because I didn't yeah. want to go to the front desk and get the key because it was two floors away. So you're like, okay, and you sort of see and then People are looking at you funny, but you still, I got yeah, in. yeah, I
3: lost a file cabinet lock and it worked <laughs> nicely. <laughs> you never. The funny thing is, once you learn these skills, you never know when they're going to happen. I learned. I took an EMT course, which, which I'll say I highly recommend with some caveats. Mm-hmm. And the caveat, it's it's a great way to get a really quick kind of emergency medical education. The caveat, caveat, caveat. Anyway, the caveat is that they teach you how to do medicine. That doesn't, emergency medicine doesn't get you sued, whereas a corpsman, you know, a corpsman or a medic or someone who's on the battlefield does stuff that's better than EMT isn't allowed to use. But it's a great, it's a great emer- quick emergency education.
2: You inspired me to look into that. The number of hours of EMT training was more than I could stomach. And right. And still to this day, but I'm married to a doctor, so I'm like, I, I outsource you're, you're good. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I did buy some, some trauma kits at home. Yeah, so like, and it's
3: great. And then you're, then you're on the highway and someone wipes out of their motorcycle, you can stop Call, you can call a pair of paramedics and then deal with them while they're waiting. It happens surprisingly often in LA.
2: Well, one of the things that that I find inspiring about the way you look at the world is, is exactly what you just said. There, like you're talking about being prepared and and being and having situational awareness and presence. And you have situational awareness when you walk into a bar. Like you wrote about that pretty heavily right. in the yeah. game, uh, even though you've changed substantially since you wrote that book. But the same thing that they teach you in, in Urban Escape and Invasion, or any of the, the, the explorations that you've written about are about like, okay, what's going on out there and how do I have control over this? So let's, let's talk about how having that, that maybe extra level of preparedness and awareness and saying, okay, if something happens, I, I know I, I've got it. Talk me through how you took that into basically your life as a pickup artist in the game, and how you transformed from there into where you are now with your new book. Like, I, I want to just from that perspective of like like
3: watching what's happening. That's what biohackers do. Right, right. And I want to get back to the word control you mentioned because okay. I think it's interesting that you chose that word. It was conscious. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so yeah. I guess the way I've done my whole career and everything is that I just you just I've hit problems in life, and then I start to solve them, and as the solution becomes really interesting or unique, I get to a level of maybe knowledge that I feel other like people don't have or would find right. useful. I'll just say, you know what, maybe I should actually write a book about this, and I get to dedicate my whole entire life to doing it in the same way that you have, whereas you were doing this stuff for yourself and become more healthy, and then, like, oh, if I just build a business around this, I would have guess then I can actually, it kind of came to come together, so now you get to do what you love, and it is your business, and you get to talk to interesting people and learn more and it's still your what you're doing for work
2: it, it is a pretty amazing change from working in computer security <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but yeah like, like and, to have and, a conversation like this even like i would have this conversation with no recording just because i want to know what you're thinking right yeah exactly and i
3: think that's one of the goals of life at least for me is how can you organize your life around the stuff you love that you still do it even if you didn't get paid
2: right so you you went on this uh, an Odyssey really, right? when, when you just for emergency, like, like that was multiple things, but at the same time, I think you were also like honing your game so to speak, uh, since your book is called the game right. But doing that. So you obviously did these things simultaneously, but you were picking topics of interest. So what made you decide to start like this really incredible arc of I want to be really good at at the game of, of picking up women? And at the same time, it, you know, it ended this arc where you're like, okay, now I'm going to talk about the truth. So, right. walk me through how having sure, like, like this is what about a 15
3: year arc? Would you say 20 years? It might be less. It might just be maybe 10 years or or 10 years for this stuff. And I was writing for the New York Times and doing journalism okay. for probably 10 years before that.
2: Okay, so you're writing for 10 years, and then about 10 years ago, you're like, all right, I'm going to try these these. Things that are going to push my limits on pretty much all the limits you could find. Yeah, I guess I always was
3: doing. I was always doing it at the same time. I mean, that was the great thing about being a journalist is I, I'd be at the New York Times and I'd have to cover what I had to cover. But then I'd say, you know what? Comedy's fascinating to me. What if I went undercover as a stand-up comic for the New York Times and just tried to make it and from that perspective wrote about what it was like. But so I'd pitch them on that article. What I really wanted to do was get over my stage fright and social anxiety, and I figured that was a good way to do it. So I would just pitch them articles that would sort of improve my life. I wanted to learn snowboarding. I'd say, oh, why don't we do a weekend piece on learning to <laughs> snowboard in, in Vermont? <laughs>
2: OK, you just made everyone listening want to be a journalist. Yeah. Because that, like, they're going to pay me to go have what I wanted to do. That
3: was incredible. Like, literally, I'd be like, OK, what country do I want to go to? And can I invent a plausible pretext to go here? <laughs> um, OK, I looked at the Fugees are going to, to Haiti. Uh, to do their first concert there, great. So not only do you get to go to Haiti, but you get to hang out with all the dictators there. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're here with the Fujis, you're going to the, you're seeing, you're going to the President's Palace, you're seeing Aristide, and you're, you're, then you're going to, uh, you know, in the, in the ghettos, you're going everywhere, and, and then you're seeing the backstage of this concert where they're playing on stage, and there are 10 guys with machine guns standing on stage. It's crazy, you just, it was really, I guess I just was always able To do that, but 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 instead of I guess them being just articles becoming books really allowed me to immerse further, to go deeper and to get to the to get to the end of a thread of knowledge where you feel like you've gotten some degree of mastery versus being a dilettante as a journalist. So you spend all this 10
2: years, now I'm kind of jealous, I mean, <laughs> right. all this 10 years doing this, and, and one of the things you decided to do was to write about the, the Pickup Artist game. Yeah. And that got to be kind of addictive for you, so
3: walk me through oh, well, that. Yeah, sure, sure, I'll walk you through that. So, so that, that started because my book editor, who I'd done these other books with, called me up and said, hey, I found a secret community of pickup artists online, and they're guys without money, without looks, without fame, who've like cracked the code of seduction and figured out just how to do it with anyone. And me not having money, looks, or fame, <laughs> and, being, and being really always the guy who was in the friend zone, who yeah. you'd think it was the big moment, you'd go in for the kiss, and you'd get the cheek turn, and the let's just be friends speech. So I thought, in my head, I thought, there's no way I ever wanna write about this, ever. So that was yeah, pushing a big
2: limit for me. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, okay. pre- I'm
3: gonna pretend like I want to write about it so I can get this information <laughs> and learn it for myself. Okay. And that's that's kind of how it began. And so I started I mean I wish like I wish I could say I did it as, with journalistic objectivity, but I did it with lonely male
2: uh, patheticness. <laughs> it, it, it's a skill that just about every guy would like to have, depending right. on how and when they're gonna use it.
3: And right. and what and what was I mean, what was fascinating and is still fascinating about this world is what it was was guys all, all over the world who were who were you know kind of inventing and creating and these techniques for meeting women it wasn't just for sex it was for some was for relationships some was for just esteem to be liked whatever whatever their reasons were i mean obviously a lot of broken people but interesting yeah. but it really was like a worldwide lab but a lab with no variables and literally some of the things in this community you later read about in scientific studies where people would study and would prove these things out. But it really was like a – it was a lab. So there's no – if something worked for you and then you shared it and it worked for all the thousands of other people all over the world, then you knew, okay, there was something to this That, that would be the scientific method, even though it wasn't double-blinded. It's, it's
2: amazing how you can gather things that work without having a journal involved. Right?
3: And, and in a way, uh, because there were no variables being controlled – you know, there's, there's, there's a plus to that. And there's also the, the minus to that. So it was nice that there were, that it was in real, the real world. And B is, it didn't have to work a hundred percent of the time to have to be proven. It just had to work enough of the time. It was good enough to walk up to someone know that nine times out of 10, it's going to work out. That's pretty awesome odds. Uh,
2: that's uh, profound. I, maybe I, I never went through any, any kind of training like that. I, right. I, I Cause I've you're so married. cool. I've, married. No, I've just been married <laughs> right. for a long time. Right. So like there's no point to it but when I was single if I'd had those skills I imagine I would have put them to use quite often and I think most guys would Um, at least not necessarily in a manipulative way and and that was always the criticism and and thing that that didn't ever seem attractive to me where you're like okay like it's one thing to connect with someone and on an emotional level and and all that it's another thing to like you know we're gonna just like kind of I'm gonna trick you into bed sort of so, what what changed after yeah. years of doing this? Yeah, because t- the truth right. is
3: a radically different book. Right, and I'll tell you what changed and as we're talking. Uh, that I, I remember, I think the moment where I, I got caught up and like lost in this world was really the first moment I met one of these pickup artists. This guy named Mystery, who's the main character in my book, and we were at at a hotel lounge here. And at the time, Scott. There were, we walked in was almost empty, so I said, "Hey, let's just go somewhere where I can watch you work and see what, is, what it is you do." And there was like two couples there together, four people, and it was Scott Bayo, the child act, the actor from Happy Days or whatever that he was from, uh, and he was there with this kind of beautiful, beautiful woman and, a, and another couple. And he's like, "No, no, it's okay. I can show you what I do." And he walks up to those four people and literally within ten minutes got the phone number of Scott Bayo's date. And he was a in front of
2: Scott in Scott Baio.
3: He was a magician. Scott Baio turned to me and he goes, "Is this a magic trick or is he stealing my date?" And when I saw that, I thought, (laughs) "Unbelievable!" I think any anyone who could just walk up to someone of the opposite or same sex and start a conversation was already, in my books, had much more courage than I did or was my hero. And for him to walk up and do that, I was like, "Okay." And so, if you asked about the belief before what allowed me, I think I thought if someone else can do it. Uh, there's no reason why I can't do it or why I can't learn to do it. So maybe what's allowed me to do that stuff is the belief that, hey, if someone else can do it and there's no physical limitation to it, uh, then I should be able to do it or learn it.
2: I'm thinking back about a little bit, maybe 11 or so years ago, um, I got out of a a long-term relationship and I was not in real good shape mentally about it. And one of my friends had gotten involved in in the pickup artist community and, and he was... He was insane and he was not an attractive guy, right. uh, but he, he was picking up different women every night. And, and I remember we went out to some bar and he literally was like, here, I'll pick one up for you. I'm like, that's not possible. And literally he like, like brings a girl over who's like sits on my lap and starts kissing me. And I'm like, like, okay, what planet am I on? Cause that's not really something right. that I would have even conceived of as being possible. And I mean, it was kind of nice, but, uh, it, it was, it was still something that just kind of made me go. Like, like, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand about all this. But my friend, man, he was putting all of his energy into picking up women. Like, he couldn't stop almost. Yeah, it
3: really became compulsive. And the, I mean, the, the negative... Yeah, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, the negative side of it is the compulsion, obviously the manipulation and the objectification are just not spiritually, psychologically healthy things. It, it
2: wasn't healthy, and you could see it. And all, all of his friends, uh, who were also my friends, were like, he's not on a good path. Right,
3: and but, and I'll say the positive side about it, hey, is there's something that you want to do in this life, why not learn to be better at it? Why not learn to understand people better, how people yeah. work? So there are positive sides of it as well, and I've seen a lot of people, for example, uh, this... I was just at a book setting on the new book, and a guy came up and he was a Syrian refugee and he lost his entire family. Wow. He got to London, knew no one, was almost killed three times. He said, Somehow I got your book and I read it, and that allowed me to build a new social, you know, peer group and network here.
2: So, so being able to connect, especially if you're someone who's been traumatized or just didn't have social skills growing right. up, which actually I didn't really have social skills growing up, I had like Asperger's symptoms most of the time. Right. But having a, a playbook. It is immensely valuable, and, and I don't know that I've ever talked about this on the air. The reason I can do a lot of what I do is because for two years, every Thursday night, I would show up at on Stanford's campus in, in Silicon Valley. They had this business networking group from, like, when dot-coms were first emerging, and I would go there as, like, this fat dork and, like, just watch how people interacted and like practice right and i actually got to be good at business networking and i developed social skills and i learned how to you know talk to people and listen to people but it was actually conscious effort to do that because i really was like like a super geek and i wouldn't make eye contact and, and all that stuff because it wasn't natural to me and now it is
3: and that that's exactly what this group was is yeah. it wasn't like they made it up they were backward engineer what was working for people who are naturally successful so yeah. for example let's say you'd be out there and you're you know, scrawny, like me, scrawny, five foot six guy and some like huge football jock, You're talking to this woman, doing your thing, you know, just picks you up and moves you to one side <laughs> and says, all right, little man, run away. And there's no way, you know, then you think, instead of thinking, oh, I'm really humiliated. That guy's hurt my feelings. You think, okay, what did he do? And then how can I respond to that next time he does it? And you think, okay, he sort of then, you know, next time you go, wow, look at you. Look at those muscles. And you, oh, my God, you must – what, what can you bench press? You're great. You should be like my security guard or something next time we're going out. <laughs> so you can, like, you can – without starting a fight or anything, you're, you can sort of, like – you can outmaneuver them once you understand what their moves are. And see that's control right
2: there. Like right. that's about well before it'd been I'm out of control. This this guy just like punted me basically, right. and all of a sudden right. you're like now I'm in control because a you you analyze right. the situation and you right. you took a conscious decision versus an emotional or just a reactionary kind right. of thing. And
3: then, and, the, and the moment he gets like a little bit reactionary, then you look at her and you go you know what this guy's kind of creeping me out. Let's get out of here, <laughs> right? Oh god! And, and so it's so bad. And so and so yeah. And so so it was fascinating. So it really was like this lab. But but the, the good side of it, what it taught me was. Uh, I used to think there were, you know, either you had it or you didn't. There were people who were cool or people who weren't. And what the community was like, oh, you can actually learn You can actually learn it. I mean, there were guys who were literally just like you at Stanford were writing down long posts on breaking down humor because they didn't have a sense of humor. (laughs) They were trying to understand how to have a sense of humor. It gets amazingly... it 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 really I guess it's social hacking. I suppose
2: there's something noble about someone who realizes, okay. look, I have no sense of humor, I have no social skills. I right. recognize that that's missing. Right. I want that in my life, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that. Okay, right. that is actually badass. I, yeah. I totally respect that. <laughs> right. and, and if you choose to apply that to, you know, basically having sex with different women every single night, maybe I don't respect that because spiritually that will harm you. Right. Eventually. And most of
3: those guys, most of those guys did not want to have sex with a different woman every night. Right. Okay. They just wanted to be. Uh, I mean, some guys did, by the way, and, and it's not to defend, it's just to say some, guy, some people wanted to just be in a relationship with the people they chose to be in a relationship with. Other people wanted to be socially popular. Other people just wanted options. Other people wanted to go out and not be wallflowers. Everyone had their own motivations. And, and I think a lot of it was about esteem.
2: And you would imagine that I know for me, my ability to do that business networking kind of thing. I certainly didn't have really good self esteem there. Like I, I knew I was doing some cool stuff with tech. Uh, but it was like I, I wanted to see how these people were successful because I right. was really success motivated. And I, I was like, I know there's a game here. Right. I don't understand it at all. But I really learned so much from that. And, and a few people who just knew how to network. Uh, mentored me, and so I, I learned how to do that. And that's different than the dating world, but right. actually, business and dating are uh, incredibly I mean, similar. And, and
3: it's also st- and in a way, it's also outcome seeking. As an, I, I uh, got a call from like a national intelligence organization, and they give the game to all their field agents. No way. And they read the game, and they use the exact, and they use the exact same process, but the clothes is different. So I went there to actually train them using the exact same stuff we're talking about. Wow. Only the clothes might be getting someone to turn informant on their uh, boss or getting a scientist to turn over secrets from another state, but it was all the same stuff. D- did you think that would happen? Never. I mean, <laughs> no, and I've trained charities on how to get, you know, donors and 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 all that stuff. And and I I never thought it would happen. So, yeah. so the techniques are the same, but the clothes is different basically. Right, exactly.
2: So you could do national sales training probably for car salesmen and
3: oh, oh in a second I think yeah, D- Dan Kennedy was a great marketer, said the game was one of the best sales manuals he's Yeah
2: uh, uh, okay. So, so you, you crack that code, which is remarkable, but now uh, yes. the truth comes out. Right. So was, I, well, that's actually funny. I didn't plan that, but you know, the, the truth as in the title right. of your book comes out. And after all of this time uh, uh, spending a, a good portion of your energy on this, you shifted gears a lot. Walk me through the precipitating event. Like what made you decide to change?
3: Sure. It's interesting. Life's so, life's so interesting, you know? Yeah. So, so I think, uh, I think for, for me, well, it was. I learned how to meet people, but how do you actually stay in relationships with them? It's different. And, and it wasn't like I, I really, obviously. It wasn't that I wanted to be ever wanted to be a pickup artist per se. I just wanted to. I really always my plan. The plan is to get married, have kids, and be a great dad and all that stuff. Yet, yet all my relationships just floundered and failed, and so it came from that. It said it was really trying to figure out intimacy and connection, and. uh, uh I grew up, both my parents just hate each other, but stayed together, hating each oh, other. Oh, that's not a good role model situation, yeah. right? Yeah, and, and so, and my mom would always say, whatever you do, never grow up to make anyone as miserable as your father makes me. Oh. So, so I mean, you can see I have the psychological <laughs> that, template to get involved, stuck into that community. Yeah, yet, that's right? not
2: a nice thing to say to your kids. Okay.
3: Uh and uh, and so as soon as someone felt unhappy or bad in a relationship, I think, oh, I think look at me, I'm ruining them. I got to protect wow. them for me. And so I had so many. And you had some codependence stories. going on there for sure. Then, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. And so so I just wanted to solve that problem. I, I see it now.
2: So so first off, like I want to learn how to how to meet people, how to, how to meet women, how to initiate relationships. Right. That was one set of skills that you hacked, right? Like flat out hacked. Yeah. And then the second one was oh, now I'd like to actually be happy with them and right. stay with them, yeah. which is a very different set of skills. And you decided to hack that.
3: Exact that's exactly it. And okay. and a, and, a, and the two like execs uh, inciting incidents where one is a friend who's watched me the whole time and is kind of is, is a mentor. Really say, well, you got everything you wanted with women. Why are you still not happy? And it's great. I mean, the best thing you can get in life is to get everything you want. Yep. Wherever, whether it's money, fame, success, sex marriage, whatever whatever's you want, and then realize that it hasn't solved the problems and you have to look inside.
2: I think there's like an ancient Chinese proverb that I'm probably hacking, and it, it's like a curse. And it's like, you know, may, may you get everything you want? Right, right,
3: right. And it, but it's yeah. a blessing because then you can start to realize, because I, I, I interview people for Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. uh, when I talk to people who achieve that the pinnacle, uh, they instantly got depressed. And they got depressed because before when they were unhappy, they could say, oh, it's because I'm not there yet. Then, when they got there and they're still depressed, they're like, oh, okay, maybe it had nothing to do with that. I,
2: I tell you, when I was when I was 16, I wrote on the Think and Grow Rich kind of goal on my mirror that was like, I'm going to make a million dollars by the time right. I'm 23. I don't know why that was my goal, but right. I was convinced that money would just like the key to happiness. It didn't work because I made $6 million when I was 26. But, okay. That's still pretty badass. Right. I never said make and keep because I lost $6 million when I was 28. So like I, I briefly had Be it. Be careful what you wish for. But here's the thing. When I had $6 million, you know what was going to make me happy? $10 million. Like how dumb could I have been, right? right? Like, but I got there and it didn't change my life. It didn't make me more happy. I mean, my car was faster, but like that was it. Yeah. Uh, my relationships still sucked. Like, like I still had all the self-esteem things and all the other stuff I was working on. And so I, I'm seeing you had the same pattern here. Yeah, but it was and, a relationship. It's it, just, okay, and, I got it, and it wasn't what I wanted, or right. it wasn't what you thought you wanted.
3: And it even could be and, and it could be the, the dating game thing that I think if you're looking for something outside yourself uh, to make yeah. yourself okay, that just becomes a drug fix, whether it is... It's a dopamine thing, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so what happened, and the, and the inciting event, as much as I hate to say it, but it's true and it's in the book, is cheated on my girlfriend uh, and then felt horrible. I felt how could I have done this to somebody who I care about? How could I have hurt this? How could I ruin my chance for my future? And as someone, how could I break my own moral ethical code just for sex? That wasn't even that good anyway. And then I really, and, and the book begins with me checking into sex addiction rehab, yeah, which is a fascinating, which is a, which was a, a, a ironic place to be. Half the guys there had read the game. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah, uh, Yeah. One guy was like, you really, the fact that I was in there was crushing him. <laughs> and then, uh, and it was fascinating. And this, and that's where the journey began because the great thing about addiction psychology is it has to work because lives are at stake. Yeah. And I really, it was really the turnaround moment was not the, and I'm not talking about the 12-step stuff. I'm talking about the core your core childhood issues that are the software in which you're operating today uh that regular therapy you sit in a room with someone for 150 or 250 dollars a week with no treatment plan just talking to them and i'm really skeptical of it and, i am too uh, yet and so if you have if you're an addict that's not going to work what they really have to do is save your life because that next drink is going to burst an esophageal vein or the next uh you know shot of heroin is going to be a hot one and you're going to you're done so lives are at stake and they just have to do what works and so yeah. that's the moment my life changed and by the way not because of rehab because i started i thought i was the normal person running about the crazy people you know i did a book with marilyn manson with motley Crue, all the journalism stuff mm-hmm. even the pickup artists. i was kind of the quote-unquote normal one in that book looking at the crazy pickup artists and this is the first time when i realized that I was just as crazy as them, and so is everybody. We just don't know it because we're living with ourselves, and we're so close to ourselves we can't see it. It seems normal because that's how we've been habituated.
2: There's something you're describing there that that sounded really familiar to me. You talk about how, like, how could I have done this? Uh, you know, I, I cheated on on my girlfriend, and and it went against my beliefs. That as a 300 pound obese person, I'd sit there and, and I'd look at the crumbs from the donut and exactly the same mind thing. Right. Like I said, I wasn't going to do that, right? I, I decided not to do it. I set an intent not to do that. And then an urge happened. And it was one that I couldn't deny. Uh, mostly it's because he ran out of willpower. Cause that same urge happened a thousand times. and I did deny it while I was looking at the thing. Cause it, you know, my body was like, eat it. And I'm like, no, eat it. No, but sex is kind of the same way, right? You, you, you like, you, you saw whoever you cheated with and you're like, she's really hot. Like I'd, I'd like some of that. And then you're like, oh, I'm not gonna do it. But at some point you gave in. Was I, it actually did you run out of willpower when you did that?
3: I can I can see yeah, I can see I can see that being it. I think that's one way to think about it, because I love that I love that it's a great book, that willpower book, and the idea that it's this limited resource. It's yeah. really influenced some of the things I do in my life. I always I try to automate as many decisions that are unnecessary as I can to conserve that. I, I think, you and me both. Like, yeah, I live, like Don't yeah. make me decide. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like all the but um so all my lunches are, you know, pre-ordered from each of my favorite places each day yeah. of the week. You do that too?
2: Oh totally. Yeah. Anytime I can not have to decide <coughs> what's on my plate, it's a no, free decision. Yeah, back, yeah, yeah right? exactly.
3: So um what I think it is what I think it is that the things to recognize about yourself are if you say you're not gonna do something and you do it, because let's just face it, if you keep losing that willpower every day, it's not that you just ran out of willpower that day. There's mm. something there's something more compulsive taking hold of you. So yeah. anytime you make the decision, I'm gonna start doing this or stop doing that, and you can't do it, and maybe you said it a couple times, then it's not a behavioral problem. It's a deeper problem.
2: It's like an emotional thing.
3: Right. So Yeah. So I would say if there's a difference between the game and the truth, it's not just one's about dating and the other one's about, or one's about courtship, one's about relationships. It's really the game's about behaviors. Hey, if I talk to this person and I tilt my body to this little angle, uh, and, um, and say these words, I'm going to have a better response. And it's easy to change those things. But the truth and the stuff in relationships is really about your beliefs. And they're much harder to recognize,
2: let alone change. Uh, One of the biggest learnings of of my own path has been that it's not enough to, uh, to sit somewhere and act the right way. Because at some base level, the people you're around know that you're just acting. Right. You need to actually be that way. Exactly. You've you've got to do it like here in in your heart or in your body viscerally as well as behave in the right way. And if you feel it viscerally and you behave in the wrong way, then you probably should read the game. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But a lot of people who are reading the game uh, weren't feeling it or acting it. And so they started acting it, but they didn't learn how to feel it. And, yeah, exactly. and am I getting this right? I mean, this is my perception of it, just because I struggled with relationships and, and all this kind of stuff as well. I, I mean, am I putting words in your mouth? I'm just thinking of your interpretation okay. of it. I'm just yeah.
3: seeing it as your, interpre- as, a, as your interpretation of it being a, valid, being a valid interpretation. I think we call it a that uh, congruence you want to be congruent what's yeah. on the outside has to match on the inside and people pick up on that instantly so a lot of the game guys are like these fake alpha males and they'll, and they'll <laughs> them learn to sit with like their legs spread out really wide because alpha males do that and they'll walk like they're walking around a massive package with their arms swinging they're <laughs> around, moving around large pecs you know and like, and like you see that person you just think they're incongruent they're, 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 they're faking something that they're not versus a person who actually you know naturally is like that and you think oh that's a that guy must be a wrestler or something, right? Right. Where other other one is, you think that must be a guy with a, you know, problems, okay, <laughs> right? I totally. Hear you. Yeah. So, so, so it's congruence, and I don't think you work toward congruence. But but if you're going to change a behavior, you there's probably a there's a middle peer we are incongruent, and, and you, at the at the end of it, you want to be back in alignment. But let's talk about the belief stuff because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And I think that the big lesson for me was that the the big issue in relationships is, has nothing, I always thought it had something to do with the other person. You know, there's something was wrong with, they they were like this, they were like that, why can't they be more like this? Yeah. Or something was wrong with the relationship, what I realized, amongst thousands of other lessons, but, is that it was only about me, and only about the way I was relating to them. It had nothing whatsoever to do with them. Yeah. And it was amazing that by, uh, change the way I thought and, and perceived someone that they became a whole new person and love and intimacy were possible.
2: What was the most important thing for teaching you how to change how you thought
3: or felt about an, or perceived another person? Beliefs are incredible. I'd love to go deeper into yeah. it and, and, and how they, how they form and how we can see them and how they can really destroy our lives. Yeah. Cause I always think why do people self-sabotage why, or why does, uh, why they have these goals? Why don't they reach them? And it all has to do with their, with, with their beliefs it's the software right right so, so yeah it's the software it's and and so so and a lot of the truth is 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 really about running a virus scan on yourself and seeing where the bugs in <laughs> your software are really, great it's, analogy great yeah, analogy yeah and how is this stuff programmed in and some people have real problems doing it i'll explain why that is but wait what was the question i was about to answer so uh, it was
2: like what was the most important oh, the thing most to important.
3: understand about about changing that yeah, stuff the most important the, the, the here's the craziest most annoying thing that when you recognize what the belief is, it's still not enough to change it.
0: Yeah, it's, that is I, so I mean, true.
3: It, it, there's, 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 there's so much habit. So, for example, uh, someone I work with is an overeater, and he always goes on the diets, and they're very successful diets, but they don't last, right? Yeah. And because it has nothing to do with what he's eating, it's that, in his case, as a child, his mom wasn't very affectionate, but she'd show her love by cooking for him. So when he's feeling bad... He goes and eats his food and gets his love. So that has to be rewired. Even if you recognize that's why, you're still going to do it. And you have to – they're a bunch of amazing – and you have to sort of treat this issue almost like a a psychological – Cancer, in a, in a sense, yeah. and, and really attack it with the whatever tools are going to go the deepest. What, and why I was what, me- what are the tools you like for attacking? I'm sure.
2: Not sure everyone listening yeah. knows they have a weakness around something like that or an, or an area they'd like to improve. Not, 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 not
3: everybody. So there are two kinds of people. Interesting, right? There's people. There are the people who think something is wrong with them. Uh, okay. And then the people think every, something's wrong with everybody else because they're perfect. <laughs> Why is everyone so stupid? <laughs> right. Right, right, right. And, and I was gonna—we were talking earlier, and I was—I was gonna write. I'll probably—I was gonna write a book or like a Kindle single called "The Power of Low Self Esteem." Yeah. Because like we were talking earlier, the fact that you felt deficient or something was wrong with you, and the fact that I did allowed us to grow and improve. Yeah. But there are certain people who just think they're great. Something's wrong with someone else, and they can't look at themselves, and they have. Defensive grandiosity. Nar- narcissists, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Someone said the other, yeah, narcissism is a reflection of an emptiness inside. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're really the ones to feel sorry for, you know, if they need to do, like, deaffirmations in the mirror, you know. I suck. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, so here are the things. Mm. So I, th- I really think the therapy model is broken. Yeah. And, and because this stuff, a lot of the stuff didn't come in intellectually, you know, It came in through feelings and through experiences. It's not intellectual.
2: Feelings right. are not intellectual. They can't right. be
3: because they're not thoughts, right? Right. So by talking it through, it doesn't do much. And so what, what? how I think the model should work, and this is kind of what I did is I wish... The other problem is, A, health insurance doesn't cover this. It's just go somewhere and get the yeah. medication to cover up the symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, one visit and a prescription. So, they're, they're, so they're, one of the problems is, like, Psychological emotional healing is a rich person's game in the sense that it's not cheap. Yeah. So just with that with that caveat, and the second caveat is what what's really blowing my mind. If I kind of have a mission now, it's that you know if we're sick, we do something for our physical health and go go to hospital. Uh, We if we're for our intellectual health, we have to go to school. But we don't do anything as a culture for our emotional health or learning what's emotionally healthy. And many of the things that people think are emotionally healthy are really not. And we can discuss that later. But but we only do that later in life if something's really seriously debilitating, wrong, that's hurting us or others. And then there's so much shame around it. And so I think learning emotional health would be just, important for our culture.
2: Just even being aware of, of shame. Yeah. Right? Like a lot of people yeah. have shame and they don't know they have shame because it's always been there. It's, it's right. like being colorblind or something. You wouldn't know you were colorblind because it, you've always been colorblind, yeah. right?
3: Yeah. And and why did I just get angry now? Uh, At someone that actually had nothing to do with them, I felt a certain way that it yeah. was a it was a learned response from childhood
2: what you're saying rings true to me. My path was pretty different in that I basically hooked a lie detector up to my head right and, right <laughs> and, and realized there was a huge disparity between the emotions and the thoughts and and managed to get them aligned that way, yeah, uh, where I'd tell myself something that was not true and the computer showing me that it's not true and you're like right. damn it like how do I get that belief Right. and then a lot of transpersonal psychology which is all feeling based instead right. of talking based yeah uh, without that I probably would have no idea what emotions I was having right now yeah. because I don't think I do, naturally knew
3: yeah it's so funny we get so mad at other people if they say something to us but the way we talk to ourselves is like unconscionable. The things we say to ourselves, if someone said it to us, we would hate them for the rest of our lives.
2: Yeah, like if the voice in your head w- was a friend, you'd fire them as a friend right. in a minute.
3: Yeah, I'm, re- I'm really into, and by the way, when I close that loop on what I think therapy yeah. should be, but I'm really into the stories we tell ourselves that, that um, and then that we keep proving our right and become more reinforced and getting out of that box. Yeah. So, but how, if, in, in my ideal sort of model, how it would work is you'd have a primary care. Say psychologist or therapist mm-hmm. who would say, "Okay, here's the, your core issue. Your core issue is you had a very critical parent, uh, or a parent who will say, and we would need to work on the esteem issues around that. Or they would just choose one, or they'd say you had a uh, uh, you know a parent who was wasn't there, and thus you have feelings of worthlessness and and not being valued, and worried your partner is going to leave you, or you had a parent who." Um, who uh, only judge you by your results, by your grades. I think you protect right. what achievers, so you're by your touchdowns, or by your grades, and then thus you think you need to achieve to get love, and then you get those people who say, like you just said, one million wasn't enough, I needed ten million, or what have you.
2: Right. Or six million wasn't enough. It, it, that's like the, the Buddhist hungry ghost idea. Like <laughs> right. No matter what you eat, you're always hungry, yeah. and, and not eat, just like food-wise, but just like like no matter what you consume or what you do or what you have, it's, it's, there's always more, right. and that
0: like
3: so, that's that right. belief you're talking about. Right. So they say, hey, this is this is the pro. This is the core issue. Now let's develop a treatment plan for it. The okay. treatment plan might be okay. You're going to go to there are all these great week-long programs that really. Or weekend or three or four day programs where you really get to the emotional root of it and purge it almost like an exorcism of those. I did like a 10 DMs. day one of those early on in, in my own What was process. that? It was called the Star Foundation.
2: Uh-huh. And it was a nonprofit thing, deeply transpersonal, holotropic breath work. And, right. and like even I realized I had PTSD around my birth. I had the cord wrapped around right. my neck, which affects your the way you see the world and like does. the world's I mean, a threatening place all the right. time you're, if you're, you're born in paradise and right yeah. away it's like
3: you're in hell <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah no, all, all those things play an effect and it's amazing when, when my son was born at the hospital uh i'm like okay you're caring for his physical health but not his psychological health they and abuse babies they, no it really hospitals. is it's like yeah. his first experience is getting poked and prodded for no reason they put him in you know NICU and gave him a spinal tap i'm like no even as an adult you would hate oh. that it's breaking my heart and I'm like, oh, wow, i got to start the healing right now. You're right. And, yeah.
2: and it's a gift that you were able to do that. Because right. imagine if you didn't have the knowledge you have and that and happened to your baby, then you're like, I don't know
3: why. Be, oh, thank God, away. they're taking care of my baby. They're yeah. right, saving him. Right. Yeah.
2: And even, whether those are necessary or not, there is an emotional healing that happens anytime a human's traumatized, as an adult who has surgery right. or as a baby. But I, no one ever taught me this stuff. I'm like from a family of hardcore like nuclear right. scientist people. Right. So for me to realize... Like okay, like this lady at the Star Foundation, she she's got my number, because she looked at me, she asked me one question about my birth, and was able to like diagram my personality, right. and I was like, she knows like all my weaknesses and all the things I'm ashamed of, and right. like, oh, and, and it was it's yeah, weird, right?
3: And here and here's my attitude when I go in. There's so many things. So so say your say your primary care therapist yeah. says, okay, you need to go to the Star Foundation, then you need some somatic experiencing. Have you done that? Uh, it's yeah. a. Somatic experiencing deals with trauma trapped in the body. Oh, it's okay. We Peter, didn't call Peter, it
2: that, but that was most of what
3: they it's would great do. stuff. This guy Peter Levine okay. uh, developed it, and and uh, it's almost like the way in a, in a movie a ghost will haunt a house till like uh, his murder or her murder has been caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like the trauma that's floating in your body, waiting to be kind of released and let go of, is because as a child you if something that you can't really escape at all traps in there so maybe they do that maybe they do emdr which deals with eye movements and left and right and hemispheres
2: profound for people for people listening right now if you have stuff that you know especially is the trauma emdr can can detune that i i've done emdr only twice because right. i'm actually i'm a pretty clean slate right now right but there was one thing i was stuck on right i just mm-hmm. couldn't forgive the, this uh, like this thing uh, and it, it, so it was it, it was really, really hard for me to do this. And I have a forgiveness practice. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking way too much about things. And, and I know the behaviors about another person. Uh, it, it's in the public sphere. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. So I did EMDR one time and literally I'm like, oh, the reason this is triggering this. And I, I know I've never said this on the radio. Something that happened to me in first grade set up this dynamic that I was unaware of as a thinking aware person. The, the dynamic was, uh, that I would be accused of something that I didn't do and then have to take the fall for it. Like right. some kids said I did something I didn't do, right? But right. The, at the time, it traumatized me. Yeah. And so I was feeling all all these weird emotions as an adult because I was accused of stuff that I didn't do. And once I, I figured out what that was, we did EMDR one time where they move your eyes back and forth, and all of a sudden, it was gone. It was like the voice in my head that I didn't know how to right. shut up, gone.
3: And that, yeah, and that was your story, like we were saying earlier. Yeah. Like here's here, This is my thought on EMDR and Francine Shapiro who I've talked to who created it might not agree with how it works but it's how I think of it is what you do with EMDR is they'll wag this little pointer left while you think about the trauma and go back there yeah your eyes move left and right then they'll put tones in your ear that go left to right and then they'll tap your left and right knee and um what I think about it is as, as a trauma, like is a I think of it sort of like a concentrated it sort of gets concentrated in an area of your brain. And, yeah. And by, by while you're thinking about it by going from left to right hemisphere, it just sort of takes a maybe a stain or a spread and spreads it out so you can't see it as much. Green and analogy. that's the way I think about it. And what I wanted to say is for some people listening, people might go online and look up it in this stuff and I'll say, Oh, this is is it proven, is it disproven? I don't actually Care because (laughs) because none of it is gonna hurt, (laughs) so it doesn't hurt to just try it and what works for and just see what works for you. So my attitude is I thought I thought of it like this: trauma, and everybody has trauma, and we can get into why that is in a second. But everybody has trauma. I think of it almost like a like a you know a cancerous you know ball attached to your heart by an elastic band. And when you do something, say EMDR, it stretches that band a little bit. But then maybe you leave and you feel like it's cured, and then something else happens, and you dwell on being accused of this stuff and bam, the butt, it snaps back. And if you keep stretching mm-hmm. the elastic with EMDR, then somatic experiencing uh, some of these deep, uh, you know, kind of gestalt-like chair work is great, all these different things, and you keep stretching and stretching, and eventually it loses its resiliency and doesn't hang on so tight. It's it's like the half-life of radioactive material. You keep you can maybe never get rid of entirely, but you keep cutting it in half and in half and in half and, in half and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller till you meet that beautiful woman and you're in a relationship and you're like, yeah, she's beautiful, but I don't have to go, you know, do the game. Or you right. see that cake and you don't have to eat it. Or you uh, see that money opportunity that's going to take you away from your family and your yeah. friends and your happiness, and you don't have to take it.
2: That's, that's pretty profound stuff. And the fact that you're so – actually, in all of your books, you're really raw. Uh, even Emergency, you're talking about what's going on, you know, the, the fear you have, and, and then to talk about it in the game. And then now to sum it up with the truth – it's it's a remarkable path you've been through, and I I think it's it's incredible that you're willing to go out there and talk about stuff that a lot of guys wouldn't about EMDR and trauma and and birth and all that weird stuff that programs us right. like like that's where all that crap comes right. from that kept you from being in a good relationship right
3: yeah yeah exactly and and the thing the thing I wanted to say for for the thirty five percent of listeners who're listening and thinking. You know, hey, this stuff isn't for me or what have you. Is that we're born, we're born, and this is the way we're. This is the why human beings have taken over the entire planet. We're born to be adaptable. We're born, <laughs> and the reason we're born so early, and like I, you know, I had goats when I was doing emergency, and as soon as I delivered the goats, they're up on their feet, running around, instantly, right? Right. And when we're born, it takes a couple of years before we even have decent language skills, and a good year till two, we can walk a little bit. And the reason we're born so early is so we can adapt to our environment, and that's why we've done such a good job of. Colonizing this planet, possibly the universe soon, right? right. Um, and so, so if you think of your brain, it's all your the, a lot of the, the neurons are there, but the architecture isn't there, and that architecture is developed in those first years. A three, a three, I think it's something. that are all kinds of figures, something like two million new neural connections a second a child is mm-hmm. making. So at the age of three, do you know this? At the age of three, you have twice as many neural connections as an adult.
2: Yeah, and they that, get pruned, and then you they get pruned get older, and gone right.
3: away. So, so and that. And that then be and that's what's that shaped by it's how how, how what's your what are your experience what is love like what is your relationship like when you cry and you're hungry you're being fed are you are you not being fed are you being ignored do you you know are you yeah. uh, are you are you safe are you not safe all these things are creating that and then when they're pruned away right and you and, and they're reduced in half uh, that then becomes the box you live in and that's reality that's your reality And that's when you see something you're like how can someone do that how can someone think that why are people uh, Voting for you know why are people supporting Trump or something? They they were just born with different boxes, you know. It makes no sense. I can't even understand why somebody would 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 support Trump after the things he, he's saying. But I'm, but when I do the, and then when I do these articles and I talk to these people, I start to understand. Okay, they were raised in a way where anything outside or different or foreign is dangerous to them and a threat, and that's their false reality they're living in
2: it's it, it's really helpful and this is something I didn't understand is that I always thought other people were either crazy or stupid because they weren't like me right. right and just like you said like their neural pruning was very different than mine and like different people's are different than each other's too and just being willing to accept that and realize that almost everything that I thought was about me was actually about them like that's just having that knowledge for
3: me was relaxing so here's my question for you okay you said control earlier and control's mm-hmm. You know the issue, and I know kind of your origin story about why you do what you do. But what do you think? Because again, a lot I think a lot of biohacking, social engineering, all this stuff is a lot about control. Mm-hmm. What do you think in the in the, your family of origin model? The reason is why you need control to feel safe.
2: For me, it's not about feeling safe anymore, although it, it certainly was. I never felt safe at all. I, I was bullied, and I, I've been in like a 100 fistfights and, and stuff, and it's, it, plus just coming into the world being choked by an umbilical cord will make you feel unsafe constantly and chronically right. in the background. I, I think I'm done with that. Uh, so for me, though, my brain was going away in my mid twenties. I couldn't think I couldn't pay attention when I was really interested in something like this conversation. There were many times in my life where I'd be looking at you and I'd be like, my eyes would be closing and I'd be kind of drooling on myself. Like, I really want to do this, but I can't. And, And the can't isn't a word I use lightly. I can't because my freaking brain won't work. So for me, it was like my body is betraying me my knees hurt all the time. My feet are flat, walking hurts all the time. And I, like, like that's not okay so so for me having a weak biological start meant that if I'm going to do the things I want to do having control of that means that my meat will support my brain and, and, and that's I, what makes me do it and I,
3: and I would uh, argue and I know we have to end in a second because the desperate housewives yeah, are outside waiting <laughs> to get into our studio they can wait <laughs> we, we, gotta, we gotta do it I, th- I, thought, I thought they'd be late but uh, I did too. so so maybe we'll talk about this off air Sure. but here's here's my thought uh-huh. my belief is so other people would be like that and just sort of maybe accept it or like, go course, so there's nothing I can do. But I think something in you said, I'm not going to be a victim of this. I'm not going to uh, – I have control over this. And maybe there's something in your childhood where maybe your needs weren't taken care of in the same way and you learned that you could be self-sufficient and take and control.
2: I'll explore that. I, I don't know what precipitating thing that would be, but it's a, a very valid question.
3: Five minutes after we'll okay, discuss Okay, we we'll talk after okay. this.
2: I, I'm dying to know what you have to say. And there's one more question I'm going to ask you yeah. before the Desperate Housewives come in and wrestle us to the floor. Uh, and that is the final question for all the interviews. Three things. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to kick ass at everything,
3: what are the three most important things to know? Uh, humility. Number one thing you do, if you're not kicking ass and you've been doing your best, then you've done your best with your current brain. Yeah. So you need to accept that you maybe you know nothing. Uh B, mentorship. Finding anyone who's better than you—it doesn't have to be Dave. It could literally be just anyone who's a little bit better than you. And uh, third one, and I just learned this lesson recently from watching my nine-month-old, is when he's trying to roll over or sit up or walk or learning these skills, he can do it all day because he's just and without getting because he's just, he'll, he'll practice it, he'll practice and practice all day. It's only the very few times when he tries to do it that he fails, so uh, or that he gets frustrated. Uh, and there's no failure when you're practicing; it's only failure when you're trying. So the third thing would be practice instead of try.
2: Ooh, love that one! Very profound. Neil, it, it's it's always a pleasure. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Uh, your new book, The Truth, absolutely is is worth reading for a whole variety of reasons outside of relationships. That so you, you've got you've developed a really interesting sense of uh, of just self awareness, and and I mean, kudos to you for the courage to just put it out there on, in print. Uh, where can people find you, and where can they find your book?
3: Uh the book ho- hopefully you know anywhere. Right. Uh and and neilstrauss.com. I don't want to say dot com anyway. <laughs> just Google my freaking name. Yeah. But it's, it's the website. <laughs> um and, and, and I do like have a mailing list where I really don't market stuff. I just write down great ideas that I share occasionally that I think are good.
2: Awesome. If you enjoyed today's show, there's something special you can do because well the bullet bulletproof the cookbook just came out. So go to Amazon and buy the truth, and buy Bulletproof the cookbook at the same time, and then they'll be like bonded together. So this time, every time someone wants to buy the cookbook, they'll see Neil's book. Every time they see Neil's book, they'll see the cookbook, and then we both win, and that would be awesome. You can be healthy physically and psychologically. Yeah, like they, they go well together, right? Neil, thanks again. Thanks, that was great.